I'm going to ask that we all bow our heads in prayer. Just start rattling off all the bad things I've done until you get tired of hearing about them or what? I'm going to talk to you about the judge of the fatherless. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't mean to be so difficult, Mrs. Cleaver. It's just that he's at the age where he doesn't realize how important it is to keep a promise. Which Bible stories you want to hear? He's just a Sunday school. Thanks, Dad. So recently, I went on to college campuses with the Center for Bioethical Reform, and we had what we call the Genocide Awareness Project, where we used graphic images of abortions uh, compared to graphic images of genocide throughout history to demonstrate to college students that abortion is, in fact, another form of genocide. And I've been talking a lot on this podcast about healing and deliverance, and I want to show you today how these things um, are so, that's what, there are vital tools that we must make use of if we're going to uh, raise up a generation for Jesus. Uh, first, I'd like to say that there are far few, uh, too few men involved in the work of pro-life ministry. Um, and I think, you know, there are far too people from the church involved in pro-life ministry, and especially in the kind that I was doing over these uh, past couple of weeks, um, because we use graphic images that many people find alarming. They find them um, very disturbing, and we do too, because abortion is disturbing. One of the things I told one of the students uh, recently is that every abortion ends in someone's death, and every abortion is violent. So there's no such thing as a non-graphic abortion image, because all abortion is graphic and violent. Um, and uh, But we uh, very few Christians will step into the arena where they use pictures like this because you will get screamed at, you will get cursed at, and many people lack the, the moral uh, fortitude to, um, to go out and be this bold. And the reason for that is we haven't dealt with our crap. We haven't dealt with the, the sins of our own life, the pornography, the lying, the cheating, the adultery, uh, whatever it may be. And so we are, we are filled with shame, and every time we try to st- uh, step out or begin to think about stepping out and standing up for the truth, a little voice, maybe a big voice inside our head, tells us uh, that we are unqualified and we're a hypocrite and we, how dare we speak out. And so in order to avoid that voice of condemnation, we stay silent. Well, that's not the way forward. America is not getting out of the mess that we're in right now without going through deliverance. Um, God is waking up the church in America to the ministry of deliverance uh, because demons have been plaguing. They have overrun the church, and it's time to drive them out. And I want to show you today why stepping out boldly um, is what is going to radically change our nation. It's where revival comes from. So um, these pictures, as I said, they they cause people to scream at us. They uh, cause people to curse us. Um, to make obscene gestures at us. Um, It's not fun. That part is not fun. But what is, uh, what I do love about it, I don't know if fun is the right word, but what I do love about it is that it causes people to to talk about the big 
questions of life. It causes people to think deeply, people who had no intention to. So many times we hear students walk by our science saying, oh, it's too early in the morning for this, or oh, that's not what I wanted to see on my way to uh, my first class. Oh, and, and many times they tell us to get off their effing campus because um, this is not stuff they want to see. But our images force them to think about life in a way that they have never done so before. That's what college is supposed to do. It's supposed to challenge your worldview, and uh, many of our students today are not prepared for that at all. Now, there are men that are involved in the pro-life ministry who are just filled with anger and condemnation, and I don't uh, you know, I don't support that in any way, shape, or form. Many of the students on these campuses will come up to us very angry, and they will assume that we are the same kind of people that were there the week before with a megaphone going through the campus con- condemning, condemning everyone to hell. It takes no courage to do that, you know. If you just have enough anger in your heart, you can walk around with a megaphone condemning everyone to hell and then drive away uh, to some place and uh, you know, hide from those that you made angry. But it's a very different thing, and it takes courage to speak truth and then to stand there uh, through the abuse long enough to also present, uh, provide grace to students. So there were three students that were surrounding me um, at App State, Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina, and they were asking me all sorts of questions. And one was uh, a question I get a lot, is if your daughter, uh, if you had a daughter and she uh, was raped at 12 and got pregnant, would you force her to have that child? And as I always do, I said, yes. I mean, I would say, I would um, want her to have that child because it's not the child's fault uh, that it was conceived in rape. And also, I wouldn't want my daughter to be doubly traumatized by after being raped, having also killed her child. That's not going to heal anything. And uh, one girl who was standing there said, if I um, accidentally got pregnant, I wouldn't want to be uh, punished or I wouldn't want to be forced to have that child. Why should that child be raised in spite? It would be better to abort the child. And I said, well, why raise a child with spite? I said, that's your decision. You can decide whether or not you're going to be spiteful. Why not choose to love your child? And she just replied, oh, so this was something she had just never thought of. We went back and forth with these kind of questions, and um, finally one of them said to me, why are you even out here? Like, don't you have a job? Which they always say that as if they, they must assume that we're getting paid to be out there. We're actually volunteering to be out there, so um, we're making a sacrifice. We're not profiting from what we're doing. And uh, I said, the reason I'm out here is because of you. Uh, because nobody on this campus is going to tell you the truth about abortion until it's too late. And I and we we argued about when does life begin because they would they would say, well what if the child is going to be born into a an abusive situation? And again I say, well every abortion ends in violence, uh, is violent, and every abortion en- ends in death. So what's you know you don't avoid possible suffering by by suffering uh, causing a child to suffer from the very beginning, to suffer and die. And they say, well the child doesn't feel any pain. Um, well, one, we can't prove that. We Nobody knows what a child experiences. We do know that children do feel pain in the womb. You know, I don't know at, at what point, but it doesn't matter. And this is, this is where the gospel gets to be preached. I said, you know, th- the reason I'm out here is because I want you to know that you have value and that your value doesn't come from the fact 
that you have a high IQ. It doesn't come from the fact that you can breathe on your own, as many students will say, well, it's not a baby until it's breathing on its own, because until that time, it's in the, in the mother, it's a parasite, it's because it's, uh, it depends on her body to live, uh, which is just a ridiculous argument, because we're all dependent upon one another. And I you know, say, does it make us less human? If, we, if you're in a wheelchair and you depend upon your parents, you can't feed yourself and you need someone else to feed you. Does that make you less human? Of course, they say no. So, what, what gives you value? You, you don't have va- your value doesn't come from the fact that you have a full-functioning brain or that you have appendages that work or that you can play sports well or that you have a sexy body or that you have a brain uh, that's high-functioning high and you can make good money with it. None of those things give you value. The only thing that gives you value is that, when, is that you were created, you were intended to exist by God himself. The Bible says in Re- Revelation 4 that it's because of his will that we exist and we're created. And I tell these students, I said, you don't exist because your parents decided to have a child. You don't exist because someone accidentally got pregnant. You don't exist because you wanted to exist. The only reason you exist is because God created you and wanted you to exist. That's what gives you value. That's why a child from the moment of conception is valuable, regardless of whether or not it has Down syndrome or it Uh, It's only going to live three months or whatever. It has value because it was created. It exists out of the will of God, and God values it. That's where our value comes from. And as soon as we devalue the child in the womb, we devalue each other. And so, by having these graphic, provocative pictures out there on the college campus, it provided me with an opportunity to speak life, to speak the gospel into the lives of these students. Um, and none of them that I know of changed their mind on the spot. But I have noticed, especially over the last year or so doing this, as I've preached the gospel, as I talked about grace, as I tell students the reason I'm out here is because no one's going to tell you about the truth about abortion until it's too late. And if you've already had an abortion, I want you to know that there's a thing called grace and there's forgiveness and that Jesus will raise your baby from the dead and you will be reunited with your baby one day. And they st- they stare at me just blinking like they had never heard this before, because they haven't. Many people have not heard the gospel. Many people sitting in churches today haven't heard the gospel. They haven't comprehended it, that uh, we are saved by the blood of Jesus. We are um, valued simply because God values us, and the only way for us to be made right by God is by, to uh, be made right with God is by receiving His love by receiving his mercy. And uh, there are far too many people that just don't understand that, even even people who have sat in church for a long time. So there was a woman there in her 80s. She was actually a student. I mean, this lady is a spunky lady who would be a student at 80. And she was actually, um, I, I came on the second day. This was out in Johnson City, Tennessee, and we were the display was out there for two days, and I came on the second day. And this lady on the first day had noticed our signs, and she came to encourage us because she was she she was pro life, um, and she had gotten into some trouble, which is ridiculous because as she was talking with students, she she tapped one on the back like a grandmother, um, comforting in a comforting gesture. And someone reported her for an assault. So an 80-year-old lady assaulted, uh, in air quotes, assaulted 
a college student and got reported for it. So ridiculous. But anyway, it turns out um, this college student thought she was uh, an official volunteer with us, and she wasn't. She was just a college student. Uh, so that's where that ended, thankfully. Um, so I came on the second day. I heard about this story, and I met this lady. I prayed for her, and I broke the curses off of her. This is the, um, you know, where healing and deliverance ministry is so important. I just heard about this. I could see that she was fearful and kind of traumatized by that. So I just broke the the curses that came into her life off of her um, when she was attacked, falsely accused. So that fear. And she later thanked me for it, and I was talking with her. I just assumed she was a Christian. I assumed she was one of us. But as I was talking with her, I realized that she wasn't fully on board with what we were doing. She was more of the mindset that we should try to um, tell these kids make um, contraceptives readily available to cut down on abortion. That argument, I mean, that that approach doesn't work. And um, it seems the more that we learn about contraceptives, the more... Uh, it becomes clear that there, I think they are, for the most part, all forms of abortion, or at least that they can't guarantee that it isn't causing a uh, fertilized egg to die. Um, and so, personally, I, um, I'm against every form of conception that I know, other than, as my dad would say, the only birth control is self-control. Um, that was actually something he said after he, he and my mom gave up birth control, um, but they had already had several several kids, um, but so that's the position I take there, and it doesn't work. You know, we're never going to get rid of abortion uh, simply by by uh, promoting birth control. That's not going to do it. Um, and so we were talking about these students that were uh, screaming and and cussing at us, and I I said to her, you know, um, she she said to me, don't you think these students would be helped uh, if they had birth control? And I said, you know what? I don't think that would help any of those students. Like, there, everyone in that crowd has been abused in some way. Um, and she agreed. You know, she said, well, if you include neglect, and neglect is abuse. So I do include neglect as a form of abuse. But I'll bet you most of those kids had been abused severely. And many of them, in fact, had told us that. And, and as I'm telling, talking about, um, just compassion for these students, understanding the pain that they're in, that they're trying to escape the guilt that they feel and the worthlessness that they feel. This woman said to me, she said, you know, I identify with that too. So I led her in a prayer uh, of giving Jesus her sense of worthlessness, her sense of rejection. And as I'm doing that, she's crying. And I asked her uh, if she was a Christian. And she said, Yes, with a little bit of Buddhism. And she showed me her wristband that, ha- that she had gotten from the Dalai Lama when she was living in Tibet. Um, and so, you know, as I'm praying with her, God is obviously moving, and I encouraged her con- to continue to pursue the Lord. And I said, I want you, as you deal with these, these memories that are coming up, these emotions, go directly to Jesus and go only to Jesus. I said, only do business with Jesus. And I said, as you do that, Jesus is going to ask you to renounce Buddhism. And I said, can you do that? And she said, yes, I can. And I, they, which surprised me because I think Buddhism is a pretty um, powerful uh, spirit to get tangled up with. And so it's pretty amazing that she was so readily was ready to give it up. And um, so I led her in a prayer 
right there. I said, Let, let's just do this now. We renounce Buddhism. And I told her to receive Jesus, which she did, and to say, I receive the Holy Spirit, which she did. And she said, oh, that's what I need at this stage of my life. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was just just amazing. And she told me as she's wiping away tears as we're dealing with rejection and worthlessness and I'm breaking those curses off her life and she's giving these hurts and wounds to Jesus. Um, she said, I realize that this has been the underpinning of everything that I've done in my life. And so that was just an, an amazing God moment. Um, I, I'm not, unfortunately, I'm not in contact with her right now. Uh, but my friend is, and I and I trust that she's continuing to walk with the Lord. She said she was going to go for a walk in the woods and talk to God and bring a box of Kleenex. And just a beautiful, beautiful moment that God was at work. But all of that happened because of our provocative signs. Those provocative signs that most people are afraid to be near, that are fr- they're afraid to associate with, the what happened because they were out there is that big questions were asked about life, about pain, about value, and that's why I do it. And I encourage you to be bold. We are living in a war, and things are not going to get better without the church being revived, and the church being revived is going to involve the church becoming bold. And so, you know, choose this day who you will, who you will serve. Repent of the places where you are compromised, wherever, um, when you think about being bold, whatever comes into your mind, those voices that say, you're not qualified because you do dot, dot, dot. Don't hide from that. Don't run from that. Acknowledge your sin. Admit, you know, agree with the accuser's voice. Satan, the term Satan, uh, or the name Satan is actually a term that means the accuser. When you hear an accusing voice in your head saying, you're guilty of this, this, and this, don't argue with it. Don't pretend like it doesn't exist. Accept the accusation and then plead the blood of Jesus. Say, yes, I am guilty and I'm sorry. Jesus, forgive me and then forgive yourself. And fill, it's just say, Jesus, forgive me. I forgive myself. Lord, cleanse me from the sin. Cleanse me from this unrighteousness and fill me with the Holy Spirit. And God is going to use you. Boldness is going to come over Uh, over you, and you are going to be a solution to the problem of evil and not a a contributor to the problem of evil. So, I hope that you will take that seriously. Take your crap to the Lord, get delivered from it, and then get in the fight because we need you. The world needs you. Jesus, um, God himself, called Abraham and said, in you and in your family, all nations are going to be blessed. Those who have the faith of Abraham are the blessing of uh, that that's it's through us that the blessing of God comes to the world. But as long as we're stuck in sin, as long as we are uh, burdened down by our own iniquity, we cannot be that light and that blessing. So get rid of your garbage, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and let's walk in boldness. I'll see you next time. God bless. <laughs>